Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. Well, good morning and happy Sunday to you. For any of you that I've not met, my name is Alistair. I normally hang out down in our Baldivas location, but it's a joy and a privilege for me to be up here with you guys today. I want to start off with a simple question, and that is, have you ever been frustrated with people that go to church or even church itself? Maybe you've met a Christian in your life and you've gone, this person is ridiculous. And the reason that you feel that is because of the way that they react in certain circumstances. It's not all the time because sometimes they're lovely and you think, wow, this person's amazing. But then something happens. And what happens is that we don't get our own way. And you suddenly see a side of them and you go, I'm not sure I like the way that this person reacts when they don't get their own way. In fact, maybe you're looking at their life and you're looking at it and you're going, you say you follow Jesus, but then I look at what you do and it doesn't seem to line up. You, you say one thing, you walk a different thing, but it goes even further than that. Maybe you're looking at them and you're saying, you always say God is love. But I look at the way that you react when you don't get your own way, and I'm just asking, where is it? Because I don't see it in the way that you are responding when you don't get your own way. And I I just want to say on the front end, if you are visiting with us today, and you are someone who does not know Jesus, and that has been your experience of Christians or of church, I want to say on the behalf of all of us, I'm sorry, and that is 100% on us. But maybe you're someone who's been following Jesus for a long time and you are with us today because you've grown tired and frustrated with the people around you and you're going, why are we not taking this more seriously? And the result of that is actually it's on us. And so I want to start off by saying, don't let Jesus followers get in the way of following Jesus. And so welcome to church today. We're starting strong. We're not here to muck around, okay? We've been in this beautiful series. I've really loved it. Reactions speak louder than words. Where are we getting it from? Well, you and I all know that actions speak louder than words. We really trust people whose walk lines up with their talk. But what we're trying to argue in this series is that reactions speak louder than both. And the reason for that is that you and I will behave when behaving benefits us. That's our actions speaking louder than our words. But when things don't work for us, our reactions tell people exactly what is going on in here. And we kicked off this series by looking at the words of Jesus in a period of his teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And what we are challenged by Jesus to do is practice the unexpected, unprecedented, underreaction. In fact, when things happen to us, we should respond in a way where people go, that doesn't make sense. They should be angry. They should be frustrated. They should be talking smack in the break room at lunch. They should be really aggressive towards this person, but they're not. And in fact, what Jesus challenges us to do is to perform an over-under reaction. We should underreact so much to the stimulus that happens in our lives that people go, that doesn't make sense. This seems a little bit confusing. This is a bit strange. I need to ask some more questions. And the reason that you and I do that, if we're someone who's following Jesus, is not out of religious goodness. We're not doing it because someone told us to do it or because we think if we do that thing, then we will get a tick on our star chart and we'll get a reward. We're doing that in response to Jesus. 
Because in fact, what we see is that Jesus is the perfect over, under, reactor. How many adjectives? Can we get in a slide? We'll we'll try next time for some more. Why do we call him the perfect over, under, reactor? Because when Jesus was confronted with our sin and our brokenness and our disrespect of God and everything he's done for us, he didn't respond in anger. He didn't respond by smiting the entirety of humanity. In fact, he responded with grace. And he responded by giving his life so that we could move from death to life in God. And so in Jesus, we see the example of what perfect over-under-reaction looks like. And so now we respond by trying to be like him. In fact, Peter, who was someone who walked with Jesus, he was one of the guys that Jesus chose to kind of build the church once Jesus, uh, his time on earth ended Peter describes Jesus in this way. He says, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, this is important, I don't know what your context is today. I don't know what you have walked through to get here today. I don't know what your last week looked like, and I don't know what this coming week is going to look like. Perhaps maybe you are in a time of your life where it seems that everything is against you. That not only things in your life, but people in your life seem to be against you. And I just want to take some encouragement from this, that Jesus knows what that feels like. And Jesus has walked that road before you. But this is so interesting to me. Jesus is on the cross. He's about to give his life for all of humanity. They are against him. They are rallying against him. They're insulting him. They're hurting him. And what does Jesus do? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And this description here is essentially saying Jesus has a choice to either get angry, get even, or to trust his heavenly Father. And Jesus, in the midst of the hardest moment of his entire life, chooses to trust God instead of himself. And I think that's important, and I think that's powerful. But if you're anything like me, you might read the life of Jesus, and sometimes you might feel actually a little bit overwhelmed just by how good it is. And so I'm going to do something slightly different today, and I want to look at the life of someone who followed Jesus. I want to look specifically at the life of a guy called Paul, and then we're going to look at some of the words that Paul wrote in respect to his life. Paul's really important if you are someone who does not know Jesus. Paul is really important because he wrote a significant chunk of what we call the New Testament. It's essentially, he wrote a bunch of letters to a bunch of churches, kind of trying to explain how do we work this whole Christianity thing out? What does it look like to follow Jesus in the midst of the day-to-day? But a little bit of backstory on Paul, because I think it's helpful. Paul was actually originally born as Saul in a place called Tarsus, and he was born as a Roman citizen sometime between 5 and 10 AD. This is important because it tells us that he had status and he had money, okay? His life kind of carries on. He's raised in a devout Jewish family. They're really faithful. They're really religious. And actually, he trains as a Pharisee under Gamaliel. I can't say his name. My Greek and Hebrew is not very good. But essentially, what we need to understand is that in this time, if you were to study under a rabbi, you were the brightest of the bright, the smartest of the smart, the best of the best. This would be like someone getting a PhD from Harvard, or even more than that, maybe getting just an honorable doctorate. Hey, we are so impressed by what you have done. We're just going to give you a doctorate, even if you haven't done any research. This is how smart this guy is. So he's studying under a rabbi. He's uh, become a Pharisee. In fact, he is so passionate about the Jewish faith 
that in the early days of the church, he is uh, seen as overseeing the persecution of Christians. He literally um, is looking at Stephen, and everyone's about to like pick up a stone to stone the guy to death. And he says, hey, okay, go. I'll hold your coats. You guys have a crack. I'll hold your stuff. This is great. He literally was essentially the central cog of persecution and genocide of a specific people group called Christians. Now, what happens to Paul is that he experiences a dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus, and he encounters Jesus in a really profound way. He encounters Jesus in such a way that he is physically blinded. In fact, his life has changed so much that he disappears for three years. This is a significant part of the Jewish community in the area that he was kind of belonging to. He was known by a lot of people because he studied under such an important Pharisee. Disappears for three years, and we're likely thinking he was in reflection and some study. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I had spent my entire life building a system of beliefs around a specific concept, and then in a moment I found out that everything I'd built was wrong, I would probably want to take some time to process, unpack, and understand exactly what that meant. Now, Paul, uh, he kind of pops back up again three years later, and uh, he starts preaching in churches. Now, you can understand this would have caused some confusion because people were like, hang on, last time we saw you, you were killing us. You, you disappeared for three years and now you're back and now you're on our team. So he faced a lot of skepticism and a lot of fear from believers. And so we would think at this point, oh, now he's going to feel comforted. He's going to feel welcomed. His life's going to turn around and he's just going to have the best experience of life imaginable. But unfortunately for Paul, it goes the polar opposite direction. In fact, he faces more trials than we could hope to understand. He escapes Damascus in a basket due to threats to his life. They literally have to put him in a woven basket and lower him out of a wall because people are trying to kill him. He encounters opposition from both Jews and Greeks during these, his ministry. He's not only not welcomed by his own people, he's also not welcomed by the new people. He faces imprisonment multiple times. We know at least that he's uh, imprisoned in Philippi, Jerusalem, and Caesarea. He then ends his life in house arrest in the city of Rome. He survives multiple beatings, stonings, and shipwrecks. You can read all of this all throughout all of his letters. I've actually been to Corinth, which, which is where this verse kind of comes from, and I've seen the post, the remnants of the post that Paul was tied to when he was essentially beaten within an inch of his life. Throughout his life, we're told he endures this thing called a thorn in the flesh. We're not sure what it is, but it's some kind of chronic affliction. We don't really know. And then finally, uh, Paul ends his life by being martyred in Rome in about 67 AD. Um, the tradition would state that he's been beheaded, and that kind of is the end of his story. And so why do I share all this with you? Because you've got to remember that this guy, Paul, writes the majority of what the Christian church believes today. And I'm reading through my Bible and I un uncover this verse and I'm blown away by the context of Paul's life because Paul says this, and we know that in all things, God works. And so I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know what your context looks like, but I do know what Paul's looks like. And he's saying in all these things, God is working. And so I don't know what you are going through right now, but maybe you're looking at your life and you're going, I wish someone else could work with me on this. 
I wish I wasn't in this alone. And I want to give you the encouragement today that God is working with you. He is, in fact, working on the very same things that you are working on that maybe possibly you feel that you are working on alone. But it's one thing to know that God is working. It's another thing to know what he's working on because for some of us in the room, we might feel that God is working against us. We might actually feel that I've done something that I feel God does not tolerate and so therefore God is punishing me. And so Paul actually corrects that for us and he makes it really clear. What is God working on? God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is not in the business of punishing us for our wrong behavior. God is in the business of partnering us for our good. And we've got to be really careful here because when we say the word good, you and I have some associations with that. It's likely if it's anything like me, deep, deep down in here, good sounds like a nice house, a nice car, a nice family, a nice job, and a nice life that at the end of it I get to say, look at all I've done. But that's not God's definition of good. God's definition of what is best for you and for me is to look more like Jesus. And so he is not going to give us things that make our lives more comfortable. He's going to give us experiences that make us more like Jesus. And in fact, I would say that Jesus challenges us at the outset that when we're dealing with adversity, we need to reframe our thinking because it's actually not adversity, it is opportunity. It's an opportunity to show people how God responds in the midst of chaos. It's an opportunity to develop our character to become more like Jesus. And if we view it as adversity, we're essentially saying this thing is more important or bigger than God is in my life. And so Paul carries on. He kind of keeps motoring through this concept. But he then says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And essentially what Paul is saying is that we have a lot of stuff going on in our lives. And the words that we use to respond to the stuff that is going on in our lives will change the way that we view those things. And he actually says, what are we going to say in response to these things? It's a verb. He says, we are going to understand that if God is for us, who can be against us? And I think what we need to understand here is that this word us is actually extremely inclusive. It doesn't mean if God is for people that think like I do. It's not if, uh, if God is for people that look like I do. It's not if God is for people that vote like I do. It's if God is for us. Maybe we need to change this language so that it's a bit more home for us. If God is for Cannington, who can be against us? If God is for this city that you and I find ourselves in right now, who can actually be against us? Maybe for me, it's if God is for Baldivis, then actually who can be against us? Maybe we need to make this a bit wider. If God is for Perth, then who can be against us? There is a reason we have a whole wall dedicated to this, because we do believe that God is for this city. This is one of the best places in the world to live. And you and I have the privilege of living here too. But there are a lot of people in our city that don't know the love, joy, and comfort of Jesus. But we know that God is for Perth. And so let's zoom it right out. Well, if God is for me, 
then who can be against me? Because I think sometimes we can get so lost in the bigness of the problems, in the bigness of the world, in the bigness of the city, that we forget that God first pursues us as an individual. And God has a deep desire to know and love you. And you need to know today that you are both needed and known in the kingdom of God. And so how do we know this to be true? Well, Paul cements it for us. He says, this is not just something that you need to believe because I told you. This is what he uses for evidence. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. What Paul is saying here is that we can know that God is for us, not because it's wordless promises, but because we can look at the cross where Jesus transcended the boundaries of heaven and earth to know us as individuals, where he took the pain of death upon himself and became sin in order that it might be destroyed so that we could come into right relationship with God. Paul doesn't make an argument of like, you've got to believe this because I really believe it's true. He makes an argument from the cross. He says, if you want to understand that God is for you and not against you, look at the depths of love that he pursued for us on the cross. And so Paul then actually takes it even further. He says, well, if Jesus has already given his life for us, how can we not trust that God is going to give us everything else? And everything else, we can, again, we can fall into that materialistic, Western, first world trap of thinking everything else is nice stuff. But you and I both know that nice stuff is not going to fix the holes in our heart. In fact, what Paul is arguing to us here is that he's actually saying, it's not about your stuff that God is going to make better. It's about your deep need. Your deep need to know that you've been adopted into a family. That despite your brokenness, despite your imperfection, you are loved and you are adored by a perfect father. Maybe for you, you are someone who grew up without a dad or a dad that was not particularly there, even if he was there. What you need to know is that there is a perfect father who is adopting you into their family. This is what Paul means when he says everything else. And so what Paul is actually trying to argue to you and to me today is not that there is no opposition Because if you're anything like me and your life is anything like mine, you will find that life is actually quite difficult. And I think we can see in Paul's life that his life is difficult as well. Paul actually, what he's saying to us is that if God is for us, who can win against us? Because there might definitely be opposition. But whatever that opposition is, cannot win whatever this battle is unless we let it. And it might feel like we've gone a really long way off track. You're saying, well, Cochrane, you're supposed to be on reaction, speak louder than words, but you seem very far off track. But the reason we've had to go so far off track is because if we don't understand the core of God's heart for humanity, we can never understand our own reactions. Because whenever we react to something, we are physically handing over control to something else. Just this last week, I was riding my bike to work in the bike lane and a bus encroached upon my space. I thought I was going to die. So what did I do? I cussed the guy out. I started giving him hand gestures. And then halfway through, I realized, oh man, I'm a pastor. Dang, this bad idea. But then I think even worse, it's like right here in Canada, I'm like, what if he goes to our church? And I've just now got it. Something happened in my life 
And I essentially said, this inanimate object, this bus has more control over my future than the king of heaven. An inanimate object that cannot control any part of my life, I am saying has more control. So what am I actually saying? I'm saying that that thing controls my future or my outcomes. And the reason we've gone such a long segue around is because for you and for me today, we need to understand that our reactions are the way that they are because I think half the time we don't understand the depth of love that God has for us. And unfortunately for you and me, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. We are different from our core. This is what it looks like to react Christian. We should be reacting completely differently because our identity is completely different from someone who does not know Jesus. But maybe today you are someone who is visiting with us, or maybe you're someone who's been a Christian for a very long time, and inwardly you are laughing. You're not doing it out loud because you're too polite, but inwardly you're going, this guy is crazy. You're expecting me to entrust my life to an invisible God that I can't see, that I don't understand, that I don't trust, and I don't like. And I'm saying, yeah, I'm, I'm encouraging you to entrust your life to Him. Why? Because I want you to look at the world around us. Let's like, play this story out. Let's entrust yourself to yourself. Cast all your cares on yourself. Where does this story end? In the end, you're the only one who will care about you. We are in the midst of a mental health crisis that our world has not ever seen before or understood before. And it's because we are trying to take control of things that we have no control over. The reason that we have such a reactive society, the reason we have such a polarized society is because we're trying to control things we were never designed to control. We're trying to carry things we were never designed to carry. In fact, we put language about this. There's a whole culture, we say it all the time. I'll worry about tomorrow because someone's got to. If you're anything like me, you want to try to control as much of your life as possible. You want it to be predictable. You want it to be understandable. You want to know where you're going to be in five years, 10 years, 15 years. But that is not a weight that we were designed to carry. We're not built that way. And maybe, like me, you have come to a realization, whether you're someone who is following Jesus or is yet to do so, and that realization is that I can't control my outcomes. In fact, I can't even control myself that well. I mean, let's be honest. If I am cussing out a bus on Wednesday morning, how on earth can I expect to be able to control where I'm going to be in five years' time? And so what does Jesus say to these reactions that are so venomous and so harmful to ourselves and to the people around us? Look at how Jesus responds. He says, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened. Anyone weary and burdened from trying to control your behavior, from trying to control your outcomes, from trying to control the world that you live in? Jesus is saying, come to me and I will give you rest. 
He carries on. He says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke is a piece of wood that was used to join two oxen together in order to run a plow, right? It's a work thing. It's like, we're going to go do some work. And Jesus is saying, hey, you want to know what work looks like? Take my yoke upon me, upon yourself, right? Learn from me. Look at my life. Look at the way I lived it. I am gentle. I am humble in heart. And what are you going to find? Not productivity. You will find rest for your souls. Why? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so for you, I don't know what your story is today. Maybe you are someone who has never met Jesus before. And I want you to know that there is an offer on the table that if you are feeling weary and burdened, you can move from a place of depravity and death and frustration and angst and annoyance to a place of rest, of deep joy, of fulfillment. But I'm not actually sure that's necessarily who this talk is for because there's another side to this. There's someone who's been following Jesus for a long time. They've been investing their life in what they believe Jesus has called them to do and they are exhausted and they are tired and they are frustrated and they see these reactions happening and they keep going, why am I like this? Well, I want you to know that there is an offer on the table for you today to come to rest in Jesus and to trust Him with your future. And so for all of us today, I want us to finish with this. If God is for us, then who can be against us? If we can live this truth out, I think we see a very, very different world. Because for all of us in the room today, we are looking at other people's lives, trying to understand why it is the way that they live the way that they do. And if we are someone who is following Jesus, we can simply open up a Bible and we can read Jesus' life and we can understand what His life looked like. But for the majority of people in Perth, Western Australia, they are not opening a Bible and looking at the life of Jesus. They are looking at the life of the people that follow Him. And so our reactions are so integral because we are carrying the mantle of Jesus' biography in our city. And if we are trying to control our reactions all the time instead of trusting God with our future, we end up damaging the very reputation of Jesus. And so to close today, we're actually gonna to stand together and we're gonna sing again. Because the biggest mistake that you and I can make from today is to think that we need to try harder and do more and react better. Actually, what you and I need to practice is trusting God with our decisions and with our future. So why don't you stand with us as we sing, Trust in God. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.